With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to episode four of the Socially Distanced Sports Bar. A simple idea. We each bring two sports clips from YouTube, a sports book uh, to each episode, and one of us chooses a documentary. We are all still more locked down than that boxer from prison from episode two. Uh, Mike, how's your week been? Really good, Steph. My birthday was this week, but I'll, I'll elaborate on that later. But yeah, very, very nice. Thank you. Okay. Ellis, yourself? Uh, good week. Okay. Good week, and I have to thank you for your recommendation of the test and um, oh. a new era for Australia's team, the documentary we covered on last week's show, because Excellent. it is my new obsession. I've watched five of the eight episodes, and the bit, spoiler alert, I'm sorry, it's a spoiler, the bit where the players admit to Justin Langer that they are intimidated by him <laughs> is just an amazing piece of television. I mean... You know, we'll be talking about flying on the wall stuff in in today's show anyway. Yeah. But it is one of the best documentaries, full stop, I've ever seen. I think, and I am agreed. It's the way they all sit around and Kawaja is the only one with the guts to say, "Yeah, yeah, mate." But we're, we're all a little bit scared. <laughs> we're scared of you. Sorry. <laughs> and it, do you know what it reminded me of? It, the way that he uses people like Adam Gilchrist and Ricky Ponting. Yeah. So yeah. he's got all of these legends from, you know, a completely dominant era of Australian cricket, helping him out. And also pe- players from, from before that as well. So he's got all of these legends helping him out. And it reminded me of something that Mike said where Gareth Edwards was unable to offer his incredible expertise to the Welsh Rugby Union team of the 1980s because he'd been banned yeah. from the game for making profits out of, um, out of an autobiography that was published after he'd retired. And... When I see, you know, Ponting in the Nets and Gilchrist offering advice in the dressing room, it makes me think of all of the Welsh talent in lots of sports that got lost because of committee men and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. And also, the, the, because it's not a particularly good Australian side, of course they're intimidated by it. It'd be like if 
when we were playing our second 15 in the early 90s because of all our top players went north to rugby league yeah it'd be like if you know, some of the players we had playing for us then were being coached by Gareth Edwards or JPR. They'd be like, well, so, so, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do that. We can't do what you're asking us to because... <laughs> we're not the best team in the world Because anymore. we're not geniuses. <laughs> so when, uh, well, sure, to, be, to be fair to you, that is a long way of saying, I'm fine, thanks, Steph. It's not a bad <laughs> Yeah, I just, I just, I cannot, well, I cannot stop thinking about this documentary because well, it's, like, well, it's, yeah. it's so good. <laughs> yeah, that's so, so sorry. If you, like Ellis, like previous episodes, uh, we are up and running on plenty of uh, social media outlets. We are at Distant Pod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram if you want to get in touch with us. Uh, we've also set up some playlists on YouTube for you so it's easier for you to find all of our selections. So if you search for Socially Distant Sports Bar on YouTube, we've got playlists for every episode there so you can find every clip that we're talking about as we go along. Uh, Mike, you are first up in round one this week. What is your choice? Now, people know that I like American things. It's, it's been mentioned in previous podcasts. Um my favourite player, uh, my favourite American football player of all time is a chap called Dick Butkus. Yeah, his name's Dick Butkus. Not a I, I can't get past that. That's, 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 that's no, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I, I can see you sniggering there on, on the Zoom screen. <laughs> you wouldn't say it to his face, by the way. Um, it's, um, my favourite player is Dick Butkus. <laughs> I have noticed that, but now I can't stop. Okay, you, you've got two choices in <laughs> life. You either are belittled for the rest of your life or you turn into what Dick Butkus became. Well, exactly. Well, I can, I can safely say he went, he went for option B there because um, even he, he played for my, my favourite team's arch rivals, so the Chicago Bears, like the longest rivalry in the NFL with the Green Bay Packers. So this would be like, um, I don't know, it would be like a Liverpool fan having a favourite player as Eric Cantona, right? So he's my favourite player. He played in the 60s and the early 70s. Um, but what just... I had, I had a tape when I was a kid on VHS called uh, called Crunch Time, the NFL's hardest hitters, and it was like six of the the biggest hitters at the time, and, and Dick Butkus was on there, and I was it, it was it was within Channel Four days when there wasn't a lot of football on TV, NFL football on TV, just that hour a week, mm. and I was obsessed with him, and that was before the internet, so any any little bit of Dick Butkus action I could get my hands on in the eighties, Steph, <laughs> I couldn't get enough of Dick in the eighties, so it, it is. Just watch this clip, and you'll see why I love him so From his personality to the impact of his tackles, everything Dick Butkus did was memorable. Although he played on only two winning teams, he did not lower his standards to fit the company. He was Moby Dick in a goldfish bowl. It winds me up a bit. I played a bit of rugby. Played. I played a little bit of American football in university as well, at a very low standard. Um, British university as well. I mean, none of that UCLA nonsense. <laughs> Just people who don't get the game, who think that, that for some reason that you put a pair of shoulder pads and helmet on, you're you're in some way emasculated slightly. Uh, I mean, what they don't realise is that that helmet is used principally as a weapon by the defensive mm. players, and it's there principally to stop getting killed on, with the offensive players. Right? It's a bit like thinking that boxing gloves are there to protect the other boxer's face, whereas yes. they're yeah. actually there Stop to protect your hands. hands. Yeah, and you, get a, and you get more of a beating because you're wearing gloves, because the other person's wearing... And, and the same in football, obviously there's a... We all go down the head injuries route now, right now, but um, you watch Buckers play, and I just love that. I mean, you know what I'm like anyway. I, I, I love that sort of 
before it became commercialized, before it became, he played for the love for the love of football. Yeah, and he just—he he seems like such a nice bloke these days. He reminds me a lot of my dad. He—he he looks almost identical to my dad in the time in the day as well. My dad was like an enforcer on his rugby team, and Buck was like the enforcer on the Chicago Bears. And as they get older, they, they look similar now. It's quite weird. I can't get enough of him. And what is remarkable about him, and it's mentioned in that clip, is when you see players that are at the absolute zenith of their profession playing in terrible, terrible teams. He was never on a good team. He was on a losing team nearly his whole professional life and kept going to the Pro Bowl, which is the best, you know. Um, it, it was always on him. Why didn't he get transferred to a better team? Yes. Well, I was just going to say that because it's a very different system. So he was the Bears sort of marquee player. Right. Right, so he was... Um, fans are coming to see Dick Butkus. You know, people are listening to the... When he did his syndicated radio shows and TV shows and stuff... He's about the only good thing they had. And there's no... It's not It's not a question of money in the NFL. It wasn't like someone's going to come in and pay you, you know, $5 million for Dick Bucket. That's not going to happen. All you're going to get is they're going to give you draft picks and players. Well, you're not going to get a player that's better than him. And your draft pick's probably not going to end up as good as him either. So as long as you keep his salary payable, which they did, then you're not going to... You're not going to like, and that is why players tend to stay with clubs for longer, I suppose, in the NFL. I mean, this will happen with Harry Kane. This is the one I'm thinking of, but... He will eventually say, I want to win a Champions League or I want to win a Premier yeah. League, and he will go right. elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So do they, not think, do they not think, well, I'd like to win a Super Bowl, so I'm going to go to the, you know, whoever the best side are in the NFL at the time. Do, do, they, do they not think in those terms? Or is it, just, is it not that easy? I don't know anything about I really think, about I, th- I think they think in those terms, but I think the difference in the, in the two sports and the way the two sports are run is that we mentioned it briefly before? Is that players have a lot less power in the NFL than they do, say, a footballer in the Premier League or in the Serie A or, in the, or La Liga, right? It's not like I want to go and win a Champions League or get in a top four club, so I want to go somewhere else, right? That doesn't, if the owner doesn't want you to go, you're not going. It's not, it's not a question of sitting out. It's right. not a question of, I mean, what you could do here, if you decided to, if you were Harry Kane and you got some huge offer from Real Madrid, right? Yeah. And they say, well, I'm not going to play and I'll just sit out. Then you, then you could sit out, and eventually Real Madrid would say, well, you know, come play for us, and here's your £120 million, and we'll, we'll take Harry Kane, right? In the NFL, you can't go anywhere else for a kickoff. There's only the NFL. There was those 20, at the time, 26 teams right, in, the, in the country. Nowhere else in the world played it. And all the owners worked together as almost like a cartel, right? So if the, none of those owners would have offered Buckers a contract unless oh, wow. the Bears wanted to sell Butkus or trade Butkus, and that wouldn't happen. So, you know, it, 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 once a, an ownership in America, especially in the 70s, it's changed a bit now with free agency and other f- things. But the best thing about those, uh, those NFL films is what they would do in those days is there was a bloke called John Fassender. It was like this bass baritone. Uh, I think he was a singer originally. But really? He, he, did all the, he did all the commentary for NFL yeah. films. So they were, they were run by, a, by a, an affiliate of the NFL. But they got this John Fassender in, and he would just write his own scripts. And it's worth going through a lot of the older stuff with him because they are—they're so good. He was a man of few words, but when he spoke, everybody listened. Yeah. Oh come on! Right? <laughs> and then, so one player said, um, "He was Hollywood handsome, but cowboy tough." <laughs> I thought, oh come on! Do you know what I mean? Oh, so um, yeah, so Dick Buckus, who I absolutely adore, and just playing the game in that—you know. 
and he and he was battered. He was absolutely battered. Well, his body is in bits, isn't it? I read his, his, I read his Wikipedia page. His shoulders is, oh, it's crazy. One leg is about a foot and a half shorter than the other. <laughs> <laughs> they considered banning NFL completely at the start of the 20th century because people were dying playing it. The president sort of stepped in and said to the big, you know, it's like our version of Oxford and Cambridge, so your Harvards and your Princetons and your Yales all played college football. But players were dying. I think in one year, like, I think 30 players died. Yeah. And the president said, and these were like the brightest, best minds of America, yeah. you know, playing college amateur sport. And the president said, either you stop people dying or I'll ban the sport. The bottom line, and it's the same in boxing, is I wa- you want to see those big hits. Yeah. Right? And if, if you're in Soldier Field, they're watching Dick Buckus and there's 70,000 of you crowned in the Soldier Field, you want to see him. Absolutely. Can I use a swear word? Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing it. Absolutely. You went big somebody. last week. I seemed, I know, but I, I had about three points last week. <laughs> <laughs> and and I watched it, and I couldn't. I, you know, in terms of big hitage, mm. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I, th- I and I thought, so how is he not getting injured then? And then, because I, as a football fan or a soccer fan, to, to avoid any confusion, I thought, oh, okay. I, it's it's the principle that. Old football men say all the time when things like match of the day, if you if you go in hard to a fifty fifty, you're less yeah. likely to get hit. I thought that's what he was doing. He was just like my dad. He was he was going in so hard. <laughs> he went in too soft. He wasn't getting hurt. He wasn't getting hurt, and that's how he was getting away with it. And then I looked him up on Wikipedia and realised that he was getting horrifically injured all the time, and his oh, his, yeah. his body is in pieces. In terms of the injuries he suffered. Hmm. Uh, they've compounded with time in his knee replaced with a metal unit. An osteotomy left him with one leg one and a half inches shorter than the other, which has affected his hips, his back and his neck. In hmm. 2002, nerve damage in his spine caused him to develop foot drop. He lost strength in his hands until he needed them both to lift a coffee cup. Still, Buckis maintains that football had a largely positive impact on his life <laughs> <laughs> and that his benefits should not be overlooked. But you know what, man? It's, again, we go back to the boxing thing or, or MMA, whatever your sport is, right? And it's fine for people to find that brutal and awful and, and they can find yeah. it, what, what, you know. The point is, it's not, it's, not, it's not bullfighting. There's not an animal in there that's got no choice, right? There's a bloke there who loves football. That's his yeah. life, right? That was his way out, out, of, out of a lot of the boy, a lot of boys as a way of poverty as well. I know that might be a uh, a factor that adds pressure to it, but I'm just saying on the on the whole, it's, it's a relatively freely taken decision to go in there, put your body on the line, right, to smash people and to get smashed. And that's no, I don't, I don't think that's anybody else's business to get involved in that. You're not going to tell Dick Buckus that that. Um, that sport's not a great sport. I watched the documentary BBC Wales did on, on Sam Warburton yes. about a year ago, maybe 18 yeah. months ago, and it was a really, really good programme. And, you know, there's not a Welsh rugby fan on earth who hasn't been given incredible memories by Sam Warburton. What a oh, player. Definitely. You know, yes, what definitely. a player. But his, oh, his body is in tatters. And yeah. I watched that documentary and he was talking about, you know, how he, as soon as he retires, he'll never run again and his knees are in, you know, pieces. And I occasionally think we are pushing our sports stars too far. It's too much mm. of a sacrifice. But they would never, ever change anything. Well, did you see the Shane Williams doc that was on recently? The one about concussion? It was fantastic. And when he speaks to that American doctor, yeah. who's basically saying, promise me, Shane, you won't let your son play. Promise me. And his son's there, like, putting his socks on and to do his boots up you know yeah and there is that and obviously my son plays 
plays you know good little level of rugby for his age. He's ten years old. Yeah. And you, as a parent, you think you think of the injuries, but it, like if my dad had stopped me playing rugby, I loved rugby. I I I, I, I loved every every second of it. I, I broke you know legs and arms and fingers and collarbones and noses and I just love playing. You can't. What, what are we going to? What are we going to? Without being too morose, mate. What are we going to make? 80, 85 if you're lucky. Right. Well, yeah. Well, so you know, big dog's cock. <laughs> you lose ten mean? years, but it's always the last ten years. What does that even years. mean? Well, you you lose ten years of your life. It's the last ten years when it's prep anyway. Who cares? Do you know what I? In this lockdown, you're not going to live forever, we, mate. Comedians football is every Tuesday. I often don't play because of work or, you know, whatever. And I've missed it so much hmm. because it's of a standard where I can still, you know, play. there's there's older like Mark Steele plays. Mark is almost sixty, yeah. So and there's and obviously there's some young players as well. But it's it's of a standard where I can completely compete, and I have right. missed it so much. And I did. Th- That's the thing. And it? I did That's think actually, if I was if I was injured in some way and I couldn't play and I couldn't play comedians football again, it's the only football I play. I don't play for another team anymore. I would be gutted. What is your first clip for this week, Mike? My first clip is a famous one. It's Derek Redmond in the semi-final of the 400 metres at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. Gone very quickly, and Redmond has broken down. He's on the track, kneeling down, and Derek Redmond, on his injury problem, the jinx has struck again. You will recognise this clip if you have even the most passing interest in sport, because... He was a world-class athlete. That's that's one thing I think that people forget about Derek Redmond. But he was in the semi-final. He was feeling good. He'd started well. And then at 250 metres, his hamstring tears. Now, um, he hobbles to a halt. He falls to the ground in agony. And then he starts again. Now, if you watch it, stewards and I think the Red Cross or the, are, trying to get on the, are trying to get on the track to help him. And he thinks, no, no, I'm I'm going to finish. Now, the thing that's so moving about it is after 10 or 15 metres, and he's hobbling, obviously, you know, he's, he's doing it on one leg. After 10 or 15 metres, his dad fights his way onto the track to help him. Now, for 30 years, I remember this happening. I assumed he, he was thinking, well, I've trained this hard. I've dedicated yeah. my entire life to this. There's no way I'm not actually going to finish. If we, yeah. Now, I read about it today. It's not actually the case. He was so crazy with the adrenaline of running at the Olympics. He thought, yeah. if I hobble it, I could overtake another four people and still qualify for the final. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll ice it. And then I'll be fine for the final on Saturday. And his dad wrecked it for him. <laughs> yes. So his dad comes on, he's like, get off, Dad. Just about to catch this Danish guy. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it's now one of the iconic moments in Olympic history, I think. And it's used in a lot of the Olympic marketing. It's always used. About, like, track invasions and stuff. Yeah, you know, in the... (laughs) (laughs) This is what we don't want. But in the the montage... (laughs) Stewards video. It's... (laughs) These are the guys we've got to take out. Every training day for stewards shows this video. (laughs) But it's a bit like when you're shown that video at the BBC of Bobby Davro in the stocks falling off the stage. Oh, my God. That is is a health and safety Lionel Blair. Oh, Bobby, no. Oh, God, Bobby. Bobby. Oh, Bobby. (laughs) The problem is we're going to have to put this... That's one of the worst things I've ever seen. We're going to have to put that video on our feed now. 
It's the oh first, my it's God! The first non-sports video. Dick Butkus has got nothing on that video. <laughs> just, just, just to, just to enlighten anyone who hasn't seen it. Oh my God! It's Don't a, make it go through me now. Non-broadcast pilot. And Bobby Davro is in stocks on a stage, on a raised stage. Standing stocks. Standing stocks. And it's the it's the end of show number, and they're all singing. And he decides to dance in the stock. He tips forward. Obviously, he can't break his fall because he's in a set of stocks. Face first. Face first. Yeah, which is still shown as a. They think he's dead. Oh my god! Yeah. And Lionel Blair's having a hissy fit. It is also a complete Super. rogues gallery of terrible light late eighties light entertain light day. You know, <laughs> Keith Chegwin's there. Lionel Blair. Anyway, I digress. Now that that is now seen as one of the iconic moments of of Olympic history. Not he was Tavro, he right? was actually no, not <laughs> He won a gold for slapstick. <laughs> anyway, Lionel Blair failed a drug test. <laughs> he, he'd been on poppers for two days. <laughs> <laughs> Now he was actually disqualified because he was assisted over the line by his dad. So that's that has been airbrushed out of history. That little fact. Now he ended up. He's now a motivational speaker. uh, Obviously, Um, he ended up doing celebrity. uh, He ended up doing celebrity gladiators. He. Played for the Birmingham Bullets uh, basketball team. He was a professional basketball Did he? player. Did yeah, he? he tried. He tried his hand at rugby union. He fancied. He fancied um, playing sevens. Oh, this is this is an incredible thing. I didn't realise. His sister, twenty-eight-year-old Cameron, was nine months pregnant. She watched her brother collapse onto the track and started to feel contractions. Oh my god! Now, now I watched it, and looking back. It is so irritating that the stewards try and stop him from running, and it's even more irritating that they stop his dad from helping him because that whole clip is about you know parenthood as much as it is about athletics. But I, I read an interview with him, and he said, um, back in Barcelona, father and son battered away a succession of officials who tried and failed to convince them to clear the track. Jim, it turned out, was as much a bouncer as a buttress. I'd never heard my dad using four-letter words, Derek said the following day. I learned a few new ones. I love the idea. I'm just like, fuck off, you can. <laughs> Thanks, Kel. For the benefit Sorry. of the tip, Kelly's just brought in a kind of strong bow for my... Great work. What, what a top one. I can't believe you choose to drink strong bow. It's, it's a hot evening. I'm abs- I, re- I record this in the top floor of my house. Yes. When, when we're in the bar, it'd be different, but I think hot air rises. It gets very warm in here. Yeah. So I like strong bow on ice, you know. Although I'm not saying anything about B52, I, I might go downstairs and have an IPA later. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> it tastes of caramel and pasties. <laughs> but well, this is this is actually a pint of. I'm having a pint of vodka and coke. Right. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! Are you in yeah. crisis, Mike? It's lockdown. <laughs> I mean, it's yes, gonna, but not I a lock in. I'm <laughs> There's a crucial difference between those two things. I'm not espousing uh, drinking. People seem to to chime with our comments on uh, British drinking culture and football last week. Um, I'm not saying people should drink to excess. I'm just saying that in stressful times, have a couple of beers in your house, isn't it? A couple of strong bones, a couple of beers. Anyway, <laughs> what I like about this clip 
is that he was actually disqualified. That's now been airbrushed. That's out what you history. like about it. You like the fact that the rules were enforced. I just, I just, I thought it, I, it was such a shame when I read that. Yeah. I thought, for God's sake, in that, the same attitude that you have towards kids' sport, I thought, let it go, let him finish. Oh, <laughs> I read actually that Redmond, while he was kind of commiserating after this, went to the athlete's village and, you know, got resolutely pissed because why wouldn't you? Mm. And Sharon Davis has had an equally bad Olympics that time round and the two of them hooked up. Yeah, they got married in the end. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. In the words of the Ray for Christie, enough respect. (laughs) (laughs) Right, for my first clip this week, I'm going to take you back to 1987. Uh, The Royal It's a Knockout had just happened. Pat Cash oh, has just won. <laughs> it's, it's not the Royal It's a Knockout, although oh, thank God. the Football League are celebrating their centenary as an organisation. So they think, let's organise a football match between the Football League and the rest of the world. Wide side crossing it in, Rogers! Madonna, Platini, Lineker, Bertold, Josimar. You've got you've got some really worthwhile players being there. Incidentally, Maradona only turned up. <laughs> this was during his Napoli period, so well, been, money may have been an influencing he'd been a, factor. He'd been a cook at since nineteen eighty four. A hundred thousand pounds got you Maradona. Yeah, no fantastic. And they announce them all out like it's the Super Bowl as well. So they make them all run out individually. They make. Maradona run from the old tunnel out onto the pitch at Wembley a year, maybe a year and two months after the hand of God. It's not just the hand of God, it's five years after the Falklands. Yep. So the England-Argentina rivalry, there's so much more to it than, Mm. you know, football. So he was detested by English football fans, Maradona. The Football League team is being coached by Bobby Robson. I love and Bobby Robson. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely like, love the man, but he picks Neil so, Webb to start and puts Ozzy Ardiles on the bench. Well, also, do I, do I, <laughs> is fascinating. Ozzy Ardiles is the only person who's not born in Britain and Ireland in the football yes. league. Can you imagine what a yeah. Premier League team would be like now? Oh, well, this was Two on or the three TV. players at most. And it was quite a big deal of a game. It's not actually. The rest of the world team are actually rubbish. And they're not game. trying either. That's they the couldn't care less. Brian World Robson Cup. thinks it's a World Cup final. He thinks that this is... Well, this is, you've got to as well <clears throat> remember that this is post-Heisel Stadium as well. So this is during all the Football League sides being banned from playing in Europe. So it was on TV and it was a really big deal. But for people like Paul McGrath, Chris Waddle, this was their chance to play in front of players who were, you know, ostensibly better than them and try and prove them wrong. And Norman Whiteside and guys like that, and Liam Whiteside. Brady. It's that one word that sticks in my mind. He scored a screamer of a goal once in the '85 FA Cup final for Man United. And it was just that one word screaming out Whiteside. It's always yeah. stuck in my mind, memory. Also, the amazing thing with Norman Whiteside. Wasn't he 17? He was 17, played yes, in the '82 World Cup. When he's lining up to sing the anthem, he looks about 50. <laughs> like this, this amazing Twitter account. 
football is aging in the 80s. Oh, this is superb. <laughs> They're all 22 and look about 65. Well, the sub-goalkeeper in this game for the Football League is Steve Grizovic. Yeah. Amazing. I can't imagine Steve Grizovic ever looking teenage. No, 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 no. That, that's a man who was born maybe at a push 42. Well, there's an amazing picture of Kevin Ratcliffe, the ex-Everton of Wales centre-half, playing for an under-15s team in North yes. Wales. And he's got a moustache. He looks like Tom Selleck. <laughs> they all look older than the Everton side now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like a Charlton when he played. I mean, it was just... I mean, the hair didn't help, did it? But, I mean... No. I thought, why why they, why they pick like a 55-year-old man on the team? But he was like... Was he 24, 25 at the time? Robson plays his arse off in this game and absolutely dominates the entire thing I think what a player certainly if you were an English football fan in the 80s you were either Hoddle or Robson Mm. because they are two different Mm. perspectives on how to play in midfield and Bobby Robson loved Brian Robson Yes, and Hoddle. If you talk to any European sort of footballer or football manager, they would say, "Well, if if Hoddle had been French, they'd have built." You know, Platini said this. We'd have we'd have built the French team around Glenn Hoddle, and he only got fifty three caps. But he didn't really like getting stuck in. Whereas Brian Robson used to get stuck in every ninety seconds or so, and then would miss six months of the season because he'd dislocate his shoulder or he'd you know break his leg or whatever. But still, yeah. what a player. I mean, a great player. Oh, he's ridiculous. Pat, Pat Nevin played in this game as well. Pat Nevin, one of my favourite footballers ever for being uh, fined a week's wages for uh, going to an art gallery. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the 80s, that was not an acceptable yeah, part of the uh, Everton Ev- tour. Everton were in New York and they were told to go on the piss all day as a team bonding <laughs> session uh, because they had new players who'd just been you know, bought that summer. And he said, "Well, I'd love to, but there's a there's an exhibition I'd really like to see, so I'll 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 come after I've done that." And then he went to that, and they find him a week's wages. He used to buy two copies of the enemy from memory, one at the top of his kit bag for the rest of the Everton team to find, pull out, and rip up and take the piss out of him, and then one at the bottom of his That's kit bag superb. that he would read. Superb. But yeah, I, I'd read a lot about it, but I never actually seen any of the footage. So I loved watching this back. It's one of the memories as a kid that I have of watching football. Because like I say, because it was such a big deal. It was in the summer. It was sort of pre-Charity Shield, if memory serves me right. And I think that year as well, the MCC had played the rest of the world cricket side. And just in my head, then, you know, the, the greatest playing together was just this fantastic thing. And you get far less of that in football exhibition matches than you get in other sports. Football's quite a partisan... I mean, obviously all sport is by nature, right? But it's... It's it's extremely partisan um, football, mm. right? And those games don't really mean anything, do they? They don't really yeah. mean. You, you're not you're not a fan of the football league. <laughs> no, yeah, no. Yeah. You, you yeah. know what I mean? I, so, this is what this is what Robson can't get his head around in the post match press conference. Bobby Robson kicks off because all the press are basically saying the the rest of the world team didn't really care. And he's like, this is a great day for the English game. The next time someone asks me... Come on, the Football League! (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off! Next time someone asks me if I like sport, we say, yeah, I'm a really big fan of the Football League, actually. (laughs) Who's your favourite team? The Football League. (laughs) I just want the Football League to be the winner. This is a paid advert from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Now, we all carry around lots of different sort of stress moments whether it's like big or small it could be as huge as 
how am I going to pay the mortgage this month? Or, you know, I'm, I'm ill, but I don't really want to talk to anybody about that because I don't want to make them feel stressed about it as well. Or, you know, it could be just something as small as how am I going to get to school pickup in time? I've got a meeting. How do I change that? How do I move that? I forgot to cancel that. And lots of the time we keep it bottled up. And whether it's big or small, it can really start to affect us negatively. And therapy is kind of a safe space to get those things off your chest. So whether it's like coming up with plans to, to organize your life a little bit better or whether it's just having someone to talk to about those things you don't want to stress out your mates or your family with. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable and entirely online. You will be matched with a the therapist after filling out a brief survey and you can switch therapists at any time. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash distant. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash distant. So documentary choice this week falls to Ellis. What have you gone for this week? It is one of my favourite pieces of television ever. It is, unfortunately, I think, forgotten. It hasn't actually got that many views on um, YouTube when I checked. It's called Home and Away, uh, not the Australian soap, obviously, and it follows 27 Liverpool and Everton fans who make their way down from Merseyside to London for the uh, 1984 Mill Cup final, which was the first all-Merseyside um, uh, Wembley Cup finals. So obviously two years later they played in the 86 FA Cup and then it happened again in 89 because in those years, you know, 80 to 90, um, I think Liverpool or Everton won the league nine times. You know, Villa won it in the early 80s didn't they? and Arsenal won it obviously 88, 89. So in, in the main, it was those two teams were absolutely dominant. But Liverpool, who'd been a great side since Shankly's era, were used to Wembley. Everton hadn't had a cup final since the 60s. I, I, I just used to love being a kid, you know, and you had no responsibilities and didn't have to worry about nothing. You come in and your mother dressed you. Well, she didn't dress you, she bought your clothes, like, no, she fed you, you know. And it was a good time and we go down and get the ferry over and go to New Brighton. And it cost nothing. And there was sand there then as well. And you could go to the fair, you know. So it, it is massive. It's an enormous game. Now, what I love about it, obviously, is that it's now famous for being the, the final where Liverpool and Everton fans sing uh, Merseyside, 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 because there's barely any segregation. Now, that, that game was always known as the friendly derby. It's not that anymore. That has that has disappeared, but it was certainly true yeah. in the in the eighties when at Anfield and Goodison it was it was largely people from Merseyside watching the matches anyway. Now I love football and I love what it means to people and the thing I will find endlessly fascinating, because obviously this isn't really about the game, this is about the people, this is about the supporters, is that Football moves people like all sport does, you know, almost like anything, like nothing else. But those people aren't in isolation, you know. They are, you know, they've they've got their own lives and stuff. And obviously, Liverpool in the mid eighties was terribly deprived. Youth youth unemployment in certain parts of Liverpool in the eighties was at ninety percent. Now, I was talking to a mate of mine who was from Walton, 
And uh, he left school in 1986. There were 200 boys in his year. 199 of them were unemployed. One of them got a job as a van driver's mate and they held a special assembly in his honour. Now, that, that is the story of the city. Now, Liverpool's absolutely... Why, though? I don't understand why he was, was so deprived. Absolutely Was there just the docks and when ravaged. the docks folded, there was nothing? Yeah, there was... And, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this in a second, but the unemployment in Liverpool was horrific and those government papers were released under the 30-year rule a couple of years ago where... They were they were they were going to put Liverpool into a kind of managed decline. That was the phrase yeah. they used because they just thought it's gone, it's over. You can't rescue Liverpool. Liverpool is done. And obviously, then you've got Derek Hatton as head of Liverpool City Council. Now, there's a there's a very good documentary called Two Tribes by BT Sport, which Ooh. was on the other night, and there's um, a very good book called There She Goes. Um, uh, so Liverpool and the Long Decade, nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety three. If you want to read about the sort of socioeconomic stuff, but what I find fascinating about Home and Away is because it's flying the wall, they've just got a camera on the bus as they're coming down from Liverpool to London. A third of Liverpool's men, the city of Liverpool's men, went to Wembley for that game. The thing I find incredible, obviously, we're all of an age, we were all alive in 1984. <laughs> Britain has changed so much. It is un. Recognizable from top to yeah. bottom. I mean, from yeah. top to bottom. I mentioned on Twitter the best thing about doing this podcast for me, right, is is for two thirds of it when I when I shut my big mouth, I'm just a fascinated listener. Yeah, or I'm just getting steers to watch things I probably wouldn't have watched, and I watched that for the second time this morning. It's absolutely amazing. I I can't believe. I mean, I, I was saying to you off air, Albert. You know, in '86, I went to Wembley with my dad to, to, to see a game up there. So, and that seems fairly recent in my memory. It wasn't ancient history. '84. It, it's like a different universe. I can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I mean, in everything from the cars to the way the police are, the food, the way that the food, the, the bloody, you know, the beer, the travel, the terrible beer they're drinking. I couldn't. There's a bit. There's a bit that I've, it's the first time in the in the episodes we've done that I've actually took notes because I was so fascinated. There's a bit when they, they go into, into into the West End. Yeah. After, you know, trying to get a, a late drink after the pub's close. One bloke's got, a, like, a, a kebab. Yes. It blows his mate's mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've never seen anything like it. And he, he, he describes it as, like, a pasty where the insides have come out, right? <laughs> and he gives it to his mate to taste because he doesn't trust it. He's never seen yeah. anything like it before. And he can't believe he's paid 150 for it. I've done a lot of football trips on coaches and on minibuses. Mm. Yeah. Even though they're getting hammered, yes, it's a, it's a very naive kind of entertainment in that one it of the is. older lot has an acoustic guitar and they Not just have a, a they just have a sing along, yeah. yeah. And then they go they go to the West End, which as someone who lives in London is the in worst suits. place is the worst place for drink anyway in suits. And they take the guitar with them and they play it. Why not? Why not? And they have a sing along in the pub on a Saturday night. But they also bit, sing, here we go. Now, yeah, at yeah. what point did football fans stop generic songs? I I thought that was something that kids would sing on stuff like Grange Hill and yes. Biker Grove. I didn't think it was real. Yeah. I didn't think like it was real. Full, like full Chester Rovers against somebody in some major yeah. comic strip. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. This is so of its time. The bloke doing the, doing the narration on it, I don't know who it is. But it's quite a received pronunciation, sort of uh, quite a clip English accent. 
But he must talk about four times in a row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It's yeah. just a, pr- a proper fly in the wall. Then before the adverts, he'll, he'll say like one line, and then that's it, and then go on with it again. The thing oh. I found so moving was the Astons, the little titles, you know, with the person's name. Oh, yes. It's, it will always be, you know, uh, Paul, an employed painter and decorator, David, yeah. an employed plasterer, Mike, an employed roofer. And a couple of them, but one of them specifically explicitly says it to camera. He says, when we go down there today and we show that there's no trouble and there's no segregation yes. and that we're good people... And that the game passes without incident. Hopefully, the government, Thatcher, they'll watch it and they'll be so impressed, they'll invest in the city and and, co- and create jobs in Liverpool. And you're like, mate, how how naive can you be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he means it. He's not taking the piss. He means no, it. No, no, no. Those no, little yeah. indents, the, whatever it's called, Aston's, was it? Yeah, well, yeah. You do more TV than I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the one fellow's an unemployed electrician. There was an unemployed mechanic, like you said, right? Other bloke, Steve Waldron, just unemployed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. unemployed. Well, yeah, what do you do? I'm just unemployed. So, but, but, but fair play to Steve Waldron. He's, he's not bullshitting, is he? If you're, I mean, your job is what you do. So if, if, you, yeah. if you're an unemployed electrician, what does that mean? I mean, I'm, like a, I'm an unemployed president. It's, <laughs> it's just, it's, just, it's very sad. <laughs> I, I spent all my summers... Um, all my school holidays, all through the eighties and the seventies, in Merthyr, because obviously my granddad was a miner, my my grandmother was a you know, and I, all through the miner strike when I was like eleven, twelve years old, yeah, and seeing that, and it was a so very very similar that you just think, fuck now, this place is had a hard time, yeah, yeah, and, you yeah. Know, and everybody is is going through it, but the, but there's there's bits in there that are so they're so brilliant, and it's, it's about the human spirit. And I think in the, in those working class places sometimes as well, there's a bit there where a woman's uh, the, all the girls are the come the Wembley Widows are watching TV on the sofa there, and some woman had a hard time off some other bloke that her her, her husband had gone down to Wembley, right? You know, and she says um, it's nothing to do with you, basically. You know, and she's saying I work, and yeah, he's yeah. going, and he had a problem with the fact that she was working. Yeah, he, he was unemployed. And her money was basically paid for him to go to Wembley. But she was incensed by that. I thought, for yeah. fair play to you, love. Oh, and, then, and then she sort of jokingly said, yeah, we can't eat, eat for two weeks, but why shouldn't he go and enjoy himself? I couldn't believe the coach the Liverpool players were on. It was the same sort of like Happy Valley's coach that all the sporters were on, right? Yeah. Just velour seats, no bog. Yeah. You know, just, just thinking, my God, these are like the, the cream of the cream. It's cream Sooness. Yeah. This, this is the cream of the crop. Well, Sooness is the... And then Sooness gets there. He gets to Wembley Stadium. He's been cra- travelling yes! on this crappy coach. He looks like he's on a set from Slade Prison in Porridge. <laughs> just into a hatch trying to get in like some family friends, like family members, a couple of tickets off some bloke. Yeah. Well, he pulls a hand, he goes, oh, I promised him four tickets. Wait there, wait there. And he is Europe's oh. best midfielder. There's no one at the club who does it for him. No, he's, he's got four tickets, bang on the door by the player's entrance, ask for me. What I found bang, amazing... Bang, bang. Graham f- Sooners there. What I found amazing was that England, Liverpool and London looked tired. <laughs> Wembley looks tired. I oh, mean, Wembley it. obviously built in 1923, so its facilities had dated considerably by 1984. The people look tired. Everyone looks oh, grey. And grey. Well, do, I don't know why. I mean, I'd love to have been the bloke making the dock going, you know what we haven't got on here? We haven't got anybody in a prison talking about it. <laughs> and they, they get a Walton jail, right? 
And there's these two lags. But again, so how much things have changed, right? Nowadays, that would be like an Albanian murderer <laughs> and some bloke who's, who's a crack dealer. It were two blokes who looked like my granddad, right? <laughs> One was an Everton fan, one was a fan. Sound the same as that, listening to it on the radio. Having a bit of banter for a fucking Mars bar. That was the best. <laughs> it wasn't like four raps of speed. It was like, winner gets a Mars bar. <laughs> Most wholesome prison in the world. You watch Porridge and think, bullshit, Porridge. There's nothing like that in prison. It turns out Porridge is basically a documentary. I, they, I, those, those two aren't in the documentary apart from yeah, that yeah, one yeah. scene. Yeah. So you're right, they have just gone. Just Gary, can you go get someone from jail as it's well? The, yeah. It's Liverpool, mate. What should we do? Jail? Yeah. <laughs> to, Let's just shoehorn it in. Also, absolutely <laughs> inconceivable that any women would want to go to the game. The Wembley oh, Widows. Yes. So yeah. it's, it's, it is out of the question. That, oh, yeah. There's the one woman, I think she's evidence supporter, just getting her knickers out. But, but she's yes. got the most longer skirt. I mean, she, it's very she's also, stripper. she's mooning the Queen. Well, the and one she's mooning says the Queen mum is he's, about, he, he's definitely going to invade the pitch, he's decided, right? That's going to happen whenever it happens. He says, gonna, he's gonna, I'm going to be me ask the Queen Mother. He was chuffed. The, why the fuck's a Queen Mother there? <laughs> yeah. The milk the Queen Mother the watching F- the milk cup. cup. <laughs> Imagine it. And they describe it at the beginning. I think, well, this, this is now obviously the League Cup these days, right? Which yeah. people don't really take any notice of, to be honest. The, the match of the century was built. Yeah, out. yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, yeah. The, the Queen, Queen Mother. mother. <laughs> Queen Mother. Who must have been about... 80 then? Well, she she would have been 84 because she was born in 1900, wasn't she? When it shows the the Wembley Widows on the piss yeah. in Liverpool on the Saturday nights, the League Cup's always on Flames a Disco. Flames Disco. Either being straight to Flames Disco, which now, don't you worry about that. To anyone. Can we down Mike for Wembley? Any, oh, uh, is that where all the lads going? <laughs> yeah. Every block in the city's going. Interesting. Now, the <laughs> Flames Disco, if you need what any evidence as to what Acid House did to nightclubbing culture <laughs> in Britain. <laughs> Flames Disco, what a mess. Oh, superb. It is, they're, they're standing there. They're just standing. They all look like they're going to job interviews. The men are all in suits. The women are all... There's about two blokes in the whole place. Yeah, yeah, and they, and they all look like they're sort of working for they're the like citizens. And they're dancing around their handbags to come on over to my place by the drifters. Oh. Which is at quite a low volume. Come on over <laughs> to my place. And um, it's just... Also, when they're in the bar, when they're in the club, or the pub, rather, the night before, the Saturday night before, in the West End, so much of yes. Piccadilly Circus or Leicester Square yeah. area, um, they start talking to some women in the bar and uh, find out that they've got jobs. But the one girl works for the doll. They got, think that's hilarious. Yeah. 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 If you, if you got a she job? works for the doll. She works for the doll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a job. Hey, she's got a job. She's got a job. But they, they spend has got a job. I don't know who edited that, but they spend the next five minutes just talking about who hasn't uh, has got a job. What's the song um, they're singing about being from Liverpool, which is in in in, in my Liverpool home. One of the proudest boasts in that song is they've got two spare cathedrals. <laughs> yes, yes. Can you imagine, like, ultras singing that song now? <laughs> got a cathedral to yeah. spare. Yeah. <laughs> if you want a cathedral, we've got two to spare. What yeah. the fuck? What? <laughs> no, we don't want a cathedral. But um, there's that one unemployed bloke at the start, and he says, I love being a kid because... 
your mum would sort out oh, your yes. clothes and yeah. she'd feed yeah. you and you don't have anything to worry about and it's horrible being an adult. And you oh. watch it. And fo- breaking, isn't it? football played such an important part in their lives. Well, it was massive. Because obviously Liverpool and Everton were such successful teams in, in, in that era. Because a few weeks later, Everton played in the FA Cup final um, against Watford in 84. And, uh, you know, Everton won the FA Cup. Fantastic. They won the Cup Winners' Cup the year after that. You, you know, they'd won the league a couple of times. Liverpool the same, obviously, won, you know, winning European Cups of fun in the 80s. The fo- What I'm fascinated by, especially Liverpool fans, they were going to Paris and they were going to Rome on gyros. They were just bunking the yeah. ferry. Despite all... We're, we're having a laugh about it, cause it is a real snapshot of, of life at that time. And it, it is bleak. But I still, when they're all on the bus and they're playing cards and they're having a sing song, the bloke gets the the guitar, they sing like for the good times or whatever they're singing. I really miss that as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. At the same time, I really miss that utter passion for the game and that and that real camaraderie and that you know. There's there's a lot to be said. There's a lot of positive stuff oh, in that as well. Because two tribes, the BT Sport version, which was made um, last year, I think. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It's it's talking to a lot of those people, but thirty years on, yeah, and that's exactly what they say. They say it was the only thing we had. You know, we had that and bands. An awful lot of bands in Liverpool. Mm. You know, at one stage, eighteen bands from the from the British top forty were bands from Liverpool, oh. and you know, you had the Lars and Echo and the Bunny Men and Frankie Goes to Hollywood and all that all that stuff. But uh, it's just. But there's a bit where they've decided the Everton. Players have decided that win or lose, yes, or draw, yeah, yeah. or draw. This is the this yeah. is the key: win, lose, or draw. They're on the piss. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they've they've got this is Saturday evening. They're playing again on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. And they're all in the bus in a cup just drinking. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, all yeah. in the bus yeah. drinking. Yeah. On the... yeah, starting again on Wednesday. We agreed we're having it. The so. liver. Well, it's this. It's the Sunday. The League Cup finals on the Sunday. All right, if you go to the YouTube channel, if you search for Socially Distant Sports Bar on YouTube, uh, we'll put up, because it's split into five little parts on yeah. YouTube, so we'll put up all the parts in sequence as part of the playlist for this week. So round two of clips. Mike, you are up to the microphone first. What have you got for us this time round? Yeah, this is uh, unusually for me. Alison will approve of this. This is a, uh, a football uh, clip. I just love this. This is this is um, somebody decided that I think England were going to go to China and sort of spread the game to China. I love this. England decide they can't go, so the FA send West Brom instead, right? And this is this is West Bromwich Albion's tour of China in 1970. Yeah, Great Wall of China, thousands of miles long, only man-made structure you can see from the moon and John Trick turns around and says well I mean you've seen one wall you've seen them all haven't you and there we go I mean I know Alice is a big fan of food the bit when they're sort of when they're sat there having the, having the they said that they hated it they couldn't not they could not wait to get home they said they're three weeks fat <laughs> forever right? yeah. and there's a bit with it they, you see him trying to use chopsticks I'm loving this right and then you've got to watch it quite carefully someone goes have you got any fish and chips you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's superb. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the thinking behind sending sending West Brom to China was. Uh, there's a bit in the stadium there where obviously it was it was it was Mao China. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a lot more open like it is today. Yeah. Um, you know, and there was they'd been told by the authorities, which meant do this or, you, or you're going to be dead. 
don't make any noise during the game. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So they, sh- they show the team at their half-time, and the, the crowd are completely silent for a game of football. And there's like 80,000 people in one of these huge Chinese stadiums. What I find hilarious is that culturally, you couldn't really get much more different to West Bromwich and Oldbury and, and the black oh. country, the West Midlands, yeah. to, to, to China in, in, in the late 70s. It, it yes. just does not get... It, inc- it includes the quote different. they got the Great Wall of China. <laughs> and he says, You've seen one wall, you've seen them all. Yeah. No. Not <laughs> one of the players decides to try and enjoy it on a cultural level. Yeah. No. That's oh, all. Well, no. Not it's that's like all. they've made a decision, this is going to be awful. Not Let's not them, go through this. Not one of them goes into it with an open mind no. and says, We're never coming back here. We so let's try and let's try and let's try and See as much as we can. Try and enjoy it. Even if you don't enjoy it, just have a nosy. Have a look around. You've seen one wall, you've seen them all. <laughs> you haven't, though, haven't you? It's not true. It's not true. Iwan, Iwan Roberts, who I love dearly, one of my favourite people, played for Watford in the, mid- in the late 80s when Elton John was still there. And Elton John took them on a tour of China in 1987. And I was talking to him about this. And I said, what was it like? And he went, oh, I hated it. I hated it. Hated the food. I said, I, I Chinese love, food? I said, I love Chinese food. He went, there wasn't a Chinese in Harlech in different, or in different Ardido, so I'd never tried it before. So I said, so what were you eating out there? He went, I took a suitcase of Kit Kats. <laughs> <laughs> they show where they sit down dinner. They just look. They've decided before they get on the before they get on at Birmingham Airport, they're gonna have a shit time of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're determined for that to happen. So, but it must have been very weird. I mean, we think of China these days as um, it's obviously a very different country, but, but it was it, it must have been such a culture shock for those boys. Oh, you know, to see them walking around having a thoroughly awful time. I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I remember my, my old man right when he in about nineteen eighty won won some competition right. And it was two tickets, all expenses paid, to Moscow, right? Right. My dad gamed his mate Tony and his wife Gail because <laughs> you couldn't think of anything worse than going to like <laughs> Moscow for, for two weeks because it was so different. <laughs> no, yeah, Moscow, shouldn't have thought so. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, my second clip for this week is... I'm kind of inspired by Dick Buckkiss from earlier on. Mm. I've gone from for a guy who gets a massive injury very early on in a game and kind of oh. plays through ridiculous pain. So this is the 2014 NRL Grand Final uh, and playing for South Sydney Rabbit O's in this one is Sam Burgess. One of the most awaited Grand Finals of all time. Burgess and taken by Graham. Burgess has come away pointing at his pointing at his cheekbone, I think. So it's the first, it's from the kick, Burgess catches it and runs into uh, Graham, who's another English player who's playing out there, and he just caves his cheekbone in. There's, there's no other way of describing it. His cheekbone just absolutely collapses on him, and he's, he's sort of holding it in the tackle immediately. A couple of doctors come on who he sort of ushers away. And then this highlights package kind of cuts to maybe two minutes into the game. And you see him just, again, smashing into another tackle. And you think, oh, he's going he's gonna to carry on. And he carries on for the whole game. And the, plays great as well. Yeah. Just 
plays out of his skin. He, he absolutely dominates it. Now, for a bit of context for why he feels like he has to do this, the Rabbitohs are this fantastic side sort of in the 50s, 60s and 70s. And then in the 90s, they're chucked out of the NRL when a guy who, if you're into Welsh Rugby Union, a guy called David Moffat is in charge of the NRL. And there'll be a lot of Welsh rugby fans who don't like David Moffat no. um, because he kind of got rid of the club game over here. Yeah, in the NRL, a lot of Rabbitohs fans don't like him because he got rid of them. And they eventually come back in and then Russell Crowe chucks a load of money into it, takes it over in 2010. And he's filming Robin Hood over here at the time and sees Sam Burgess playing for Bradford, brings him and his three brothers mm. and their mum over <clears throat> to Sydney to play for them. And they've not been at this stage since then. So since the 70s, they've not won a grand final. So Burgess caves his cheekbone in, decides to carry on playing. At half-time, there are, there are two moments that are fantastic. There's an interview as he's going down the tunnel where... <laughs> the. There's an Australian uh, interviewer who goes, uh, how's the cheek, mate? He just goes, it's fucked. Go, Thanks very much. <laughs> and then it uh, carries on going down the tunnel. And then he meets the doctor in the, uh, in the change room. And the doctor says to him, look, Sam, can you come into the back room? We need to have a bit of a chat. And he's like, look, there's nothing you're going to say now that is going to convince me to come off the field. Just leave me alone. He said, right, there are two things you need to know. If you get hit again, your eye may fall out. <sighs> He said, I don't care, I don't care. I'm playing the second half. Secondly, he says, whatever you do, don't blow your nose, and walks off. Jesus. <laughs> whatever you do, don't blow your nose. And there is no context for what might happen if he blows his nose. Because <laughs> you watch him play in, in that game. You watch the offloads and watch the running. I've, I've never broken a cheekbone. I've, no, I've known people who have broken a cheekbone. That's a serious, like you're saying, that, that, I mean, that's a nasty injury, a cheekbone. Yeah. You know, if, if someone says to you at half-time, your eye... You get hit in the in the cheek again, your eyes are going to pop out. Yeah. Your eyes are going to fall out. You're not, not you're going to get slightly injured yeah. here. Your eye is going to fall out of your face. Also, <laughs> oh, I, it, I, I might not play the second half, if I'm honest. Was it Jamie Roberts who fractured his skull? He did, yes. And played his on. head against Sterling Mortlock against Australia mm. and fractured his skull. He fractured his skull and he plays on. Yeah. And then you see footage of him tackling in the, in the same way yeah. that... You know, butt kiss style. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. Now, what what I don't understand, I've never, you know, fun fact, I've never played through pain. <laughs> and I never will. What, 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 I, what I have did is not turn up for football because I've got an earache. I mean, I'm sort of... <laughs> <laughs> now, Mike, Mike, Mike is the man for playing through pain. You, you, you've played through pain, haven't you? I've played with broken bones now. I've broken bones in games and played. I, I broke... I broke a hand bone quite badly, and then I, I, it was so strapped up that it looked like a boxing glove because it was killing me. And then I, I remember I, I scored a try in the second half and landed on the on the broken hand, and I was in bloody agony with it. But I mean, a hand's a hand, isn't it? I mean, the, the worst that would have happened there was that my hand would be Fair a bit knackered. You, know. you do need a hand. Mine's not done. Well, you got two of them. I find... Well, no, Dick Buckus needs both to pick up a cup of coffee. Yeah. That's what, I, well, you, you can't just disregard I, I hand. use my hands all the time. Yeah. Well, I, I say the when two I broke of the top my, things I use. When I broke my leg, I was about 18 when I broke my leg, and my dad... I've, I've told the story, I think, to Alice before. My dad refused to believe me. My dad was yeah, old school, Dick Buckus style. <laughs> refused broke, to believe I, you? I broke my leg on a Saturday morning, and I said... Um, and I was, a, at the time, a decent rugby player, you know? Right. I said, Dad, I broke my leg. I was in agony. I, I heard it crack. 
as I got tackled, I came off. But he knew the referee, right? So the referee was going, is he off? He's going, give him a minute, give him a minute. He said, get up, get up, get up. I said, Dad, my legs broke. Get up, get up. Stood up. He said, right, have a, have a trot on it, have a trot on it. I went, trot it off, trot it off. I went, it's broken, Dad. I heard it break. You, you'd be in agony if it was broken. I said, I am in agony. He, he, wouldn't, have it. he wouldn't have it, right? Is he off? No, I'm going to give two minutes, ref. So I had a trot on it because I didn't want to let my dad down. And I just collapsed oh into a heap on the floor, right? And he was appalled, my old man, by my lack of fucking moral fibre. So <laughs> we had to watch the rest of the game. Right? We then went home. And then Saturday afternoon, his, his biggest concession to me was that he, he let me sit on the recliner. We had a recliner chair. Yeah, we had his, a recliner. That was his grandstand chair, right? He let me have the grandstand chair and got my mum to get a bag of frozen peas on my ankle, right, which is now the size of a balloon. <laughs> and I was in fucking bits with this ankle, right? So Sunday morning, my legs now going black from the knee down. And uh, I said, Dad, I'm, I'm con- I'm sh- this is definitely broken, right? And mum said, for Christ's sake, Bob, you know, take him into hospital. I think he's broken his leg. He hasn't broken his bloody... I'll take you in. He said, if you're going to moan all weekend, I'll take you in. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Great so he dad dro- response. He drove me to the hospital in, into Cardiff, right? I went in there. I'd broken my tib and my fib in two places, right? <laughs> Basically four breaks. Oh. And my knee ligaments had gone. So I was in a full cast. I was in a cast on my hip to my toe. And I came out of the, of the, the plaster and my old man's face dropped because he thought... first thing he thought was not... I hope my son's all right. My own, my only, my only, my only begotten son. He was thinking my wife's going to kick the shit out of me. So, <laughs> walk the front door, right? so but, but the point being, I came off then, right? I mean, this, I mean, to break your, to break, to break a cheekbone, and play on in a game like rugby league. You, this is the thing: you're playing rugby league, where I would say, I would say, seventy percent of tackles in rugby league would be a penalty in rugby union. Yes, you know what yeah. I mean. And also, they're going to target you because they can see that you've broken your cheekbone. But you could see um, it because he's, 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 yeah, he's obviously he's his a face is caved in. Fit, strong bloke. One cheekbone isn't there anymore. Right, Al. What is your final clip for this week? It's a short one. It is Francesco Totti, who, lest we forget, is one of the greats of Italian football. Um, he played in the World Cup winning side uh, in the 2006 World Cup. Also, he was a one-club man for Roma, so he played until he was 14. Now, the thing with Roma, they are one of the big clubs in Italian football, but they're probably more similar to Newcastle United in the sense that they're a huge, very well-supported club with a massive stadium, but they're not particularly successful. I think they've won the league three times, whereas Juve won it 35 times and Inter won it 18 times. And he is worshipped worship they've retired the number 10 sure you know they football begins and ends with totti for roma fans i actually knew i met a bloke from cafilli once and he was a young kid and i said who do you support because i knew he was a big football fan i expect i well i (laughs) (laughs) i expected him to say i thought he's either going to say cardiff city because he's from cafilli or he's probably going to be a premier league team he said roma and i said why is that then he went totti i just love totti now he was a good player what i love about totti he loves playing so much. He now turns out in a Monday night eight-a-side league. That, like, you know, the, there's the power leagues in Cardiff down yeah, yeah. Um, sort of in Grangetown or Gaul down in Leckwith. Yeah. Anyone can play in this. Now, he's not playing in, um, in a Roma Legends game against 
you know, Real Madrid legends or Man United legends, he is playing against a team from a car garage and he's playing against a team from a fish restaurant. But he's one of the greatest strikers Italian football has ever produced. So inevitably, he is absolutely brilliant. Now, every now and then, a, play, a player will retire and they'll turn out um, at a lower league game. I remember Paul Merson did it in Wales. And Merson, obviously, now is overweight and he came on and he and he played the first half or something and that was that. So the, um, I read an article about this and uh, someone at the league said, I thought he'd play maybe two or three times all year, but he plays every week. I think he's missed only two games. One, because he was doing the draw for the Euros. <laughs> the other, because he went to play six aside in Germany, our Legends team against their Legends team. He is addicted to playing and he loves the pre-match stuff, the post-match stuff, the, the, the fact they eat sort of, you know, fruit tarts instead of energy bars and things before games. He just loves playing with his mates, I think, and I think he just loves playing football. And this free kick went viral obviously now this Monday night eight-a-side league has got an enormous interest online and he scores screamers every week and they, they go viral. This is a free kick that I was very impressed with. But as someone who has played in those leagues, imagine turning up on a Monday night and you've got Admiral Insurance away <laughs> and, and on they come in their you know, ramshackle kit and Wayne Rooney is there just because he fancies turning out for I love that, know, Br- British gas or something. I just think there's... Well, we, we mentioned it with the Buckers thing earlier with injury. I just think there's players who love it so much want to just keep playing and playing and playing. You know, I, I, love, I love to see that. Also, he wasn't playing for Newport County. Like, he was one That's of I mean. the world's he best the players. He went for the top. Yeah. From Serie A down to Roma, yeah. eight-a-side league yeah. on a Tuesday night. You know, Lineker hasn't kicked a ball since the day he retired because he was he ended his career in Japan and he hasn't kicked a ball. He's not interested. And a lot of players like that, just not interested. I like the idea of someone collecting Totti's subs yeah. sort of after the game. Well, yeah, Where's your eight quid? Yeah, it's Simon Davis, the ex-Spurs and Everton and Fulham player... <laughs> He was playing in the Pembrokeshire leagues, and I think he's playing for Solva, wasn't he? Yeah, and I think he stopped because local fishermen were just trying to break his legs, <laughs> and I think it wasn't much fun. But yeah. Totti, he doesn't care. Right, books for this week. Uh, I'm going to go first because. I didn't realise that I've picked one by the same guy that you picked one by last week, Alice. Yeah. So I've gone for one of David Winner's other books. It is um, superb, though. It's called Brilliant Orange, The Neurotic Genius of Dutch Football. And it's it's a really kind of slim tome. But first of all, first thing about it that I loved immediately was the chapter numbers are out of sequence. So the whole sort of total football vibe of everyone's got to play everywhere immediately is taken on board by the way that they've structured the book. Attention to detail like that just stands out in my head straight away. Um, He sort of relates, I don't know, art, culture, football, architecture, even the sort of geography of the Netherlands to the football. It's all kind of interrelated. Um, 
there's one quote I think it was on the cover that um, God made the world, but the Dutch made Holland, and it's kind of the the, the juxtaposition of being Dutch compared to anything else in relation to football is fantastic. There are a lot of these books out there now that go in depth about trying their hardest to relate culture to football. So there's um, there's one about uh, Brazil, which is really really good, but a lot thicker. Football. Oh yes, called F U T B O L. Yeah, and that's yeah. a brilliant book, but it's much more in depth. What what Winner has done really well in this is just condense his thoughts down so well. And it's called, it's the prototype of those books. So yeah, I know it's kind of turning into a fan club of Winner, but it, it's a it's a beautiful book, and I think it's really well brought together. And Mike, what what have you gone for this week? So this is Bobby Dazzler, uh, the Bobby George story, basically. Um, I love darts. I've always been a big darts fan. Uh, this book, if you want to really... We're talking about characters, right? Bobby George is an absolute pearler of a character, right? So he didn't start playing professional darts until he was 30. He'd done everything. Like he, he was a big, tough, strong bloke. Grew up in sort of uh, 60s London. I think he worked at the door, knew the craze, knew the phrases. Worked building the, the, the underground and the tube and was a labourer. And at 30, decided... He could just play darts. It's not hard to do. This is easier than what I'm doing now. So basically taught himself to play darts. Ended up being sort of one of the top three or four players in the world. But just just a real showman. You know, obviously Bobby Dazzler is his nickname. Uh, a previous nickname was Mr Glitter. He dropped that for obvious reasons. <laughs> and just this large-than-life bloke who then built his own house because he'd been a builder as well. He bought a big plot of land in Essex, built uh, an 18-bedroom mansion himself <laughs> called called George House, right? Legend. Which is like some Alan Partridge. Ye doing House. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the cinnamons. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he built George House, which is an 18 bedroom mansion where the rooms are arranged. Um, he designed it himself as well. Arranges the dartboard, basically. No. Right? Yeah, it's a true, true story. Um, oh, come on. I just love him. I mean, it's, it's a really entertaining read. And if you love that sort of seedy. 60s, 70s underworld that was going on in London as well. And I love all that sort of stuff. Um, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Al, what's yours for this week? The book I have chosen is Hunter Davis's The Glory Game uh, from 1972. And Hunter Davis also famous as uh, a biography of the Beatles. He wrote the official yeah. biography of the Beatles, which is really good. Um, the thing with The Glory Game is he spent an entire season with Spurs and unrivaled access. He was at the after-match parties. He sat in the bath with them after training. He was allowed in the dressing room. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, research, lads. Research. Well, well, Bill Nicholson... Who's that? Pass the Mr. Matey. Bill Nicholson, who was, who was the manager, actually grew to regret the amount of access he was given because a lot of the players weren't happy with the way they were portrayed. Now... That Spurs team, obviously, under Nicholson in 61, 11 years previously, they'd won the double. It wasn't quite that team, but it was still a good side. They won the UEFA Cup that year. So you had people like Martin Chivers and Alan Mullery and Steve Perryman and Mike England as well. It's not really about, it's not really a blow by blow account of the season. It's more to do with the relationships in the dressing rooms or how players were recovering from injury. Um, you, you know, what they're like with the other players and their relationship with Bill Nicholson, the manager. On every page, there will be some little descriptive thing that makes you realise how commercialism has changed football over the last 50 years or so. 
the other interesting thing is at the end of the book in the appendix he talks to their wives and also he asks them what newspaper they buy and how they voted at the last election or what their politics are. So it's very interesting because there's so many of them are Tories. They're all sort of, they're not particularly rich or well off, but they are, a lot of them are conservative voting, which I found quite interesting. So it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating snapshot of a specific era. And anyone who criticises the book by saying it's dated doesn't get it or doesn't get why it's interesting, I think. So yeah, the, the glory game by Hunter Davis, especially if you're a Spurs fan, it would be an amazing read. But if you're interested in sporting history in general, like, I can't recommend it highly enough. Right, leave us a review or a rating if your podcast provider lets you do that. Uh, make sure you subscribe as well. If you have a guess as to the identity of the secret guitarist, uh, Mikey has suggested Kelly Jones. Uh, Robin Friday 27, who I'm guessing is a Cardiff City fan, <laughs> judging by that handle. Uh, the mystery guitarist has got to be James Dean Bradfield. Uh, Welsh Beck uh, goes with the guitarist JDB as his guess as well. If you go to our Instagram, um, you can hear the full theme there without us rambling over the top of it. It's at Distant Pod on Instagram. You'll be able to click on one of the videos there and you can see the whole thing. Uh, if you have not yet claimed your free beer, what are you doing with your life? Do it. Beer52.com slash distant. Eight free beers in the post headed your way. Right, that's us for this week. Uh, we'll be back with another one of these this time next week. Thank you for your company, gentlemen. Cheers, Thank Cheers, you up. very much. Cheers.